You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Turning your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. And grab your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, get your Bible. And uh, you need to be looking at God's Word. You need to be studying along God's Word. I encourage you to be underlining things in God's Word as, as, as things are highlighted, as, as you say, hey, I need, to, I need to remember that. I need to come back to that. And, and hopefully you have a journal, you have paper, you have a pen ha- handy so you can write down some notes here as there's some important things and some references for you to write down. Um, these are important truths that can transform lives. And, and here in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter is writing, just to remind you of this, he's writing to Christians who are scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Christians who are facing growing animosity, hatred, slander, persecution, imprisonment, and even death, all because of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. They did nothing wrong except to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, partway through chapter 2, as as you'll see here, uh, there's a shift that takes place in the letter. A shift from doctrine over to conduct. A a shift from theology to practice. And and so far in 1 Peter, we have, have been given just a rich, doctrinal, beautiful, instructional reminders of who we are in Christ. How Jesus Christ is our living hope here in this life. For the day-by-day monotony or the day-by-day struggles and issues we face, he's our living hope for that. He's also our living hope for eternity to come. And 1 Peter is such a timely book for our day today. It is packed with, with great theology, but also with some very practical instruction for us. Answering the question as we'll be looking at today, how then shall we live? In light of this good news, in light of the living hope we have, how now shall we live as followers of Christ? You see, whether you were a Christian living back in the Roman Empire, facing the persecution and suffering that they were, or for us today, here in Canada, or wherever you are throughout the world, we face an uncertainty in our future. Every one of us does. And when trials come, when difficulties come, it's very easy to lose perspective. It's easy to to fight the wrong fight, to become obsessed with the wrong things, to get our eyes off of Christ, off of the goal, off of the prize, off of the throne, as we were just singing about, and onto our circumstances, onto worry, onto areas and and, and issues and and circumstances that, that just are an endless toil in our lives. And so we see this shift from theology to practice taking place here. And and he's touching on now in some very practical ways some very important relationships in our lives. And today we are going to see how we are to live. How we are to live as proclaimers for Christ before a watching world. We have a world that is watching us. Our lives are on display And next week, Lord willing, we are going to be looking at, and we need much prayer for this because this takes a lot of um, study and prayer and seeing what God's word says to this. How do we live as good and godly citizens when we believe, when we believe and are convinced and know that our governing authorities are perhaps corrupt, are evil, and are overstepping perhaps their authority in our lives? How do we biblically respond to that? How do we live 
in light of the realities that we're even facing with COVID-19. And, and then, a little later on, Peter then addresses, we'll get to this a further week, Lord, Lord willing, addresses our work relationships and our attitudes. How are we to live and work as good employees, as good employers? Then he gets even more practical as he talks about marriage, how we are to live in a committed marriage with one another, even in trials and suffering and difficulty. You see, when... <clears throat> When we get put to the test, when life starts to squeeze us, these relationships, these things that I just talked about, are things that will oftentimes greatly suffer or will become confused about and we will handle not biblically. And this is where our faith and our witness as believers in Christ is often diluted or lost completely. And we are to be proclaimers to this world. <clears throat> and so we see this shift taking place from theology to practice. And it actually, the shift started last week as we looked at, at chapter 2 in verse 9. And so you can follow along in your Bibles and you'll see this shift. I will, will highlight it for you. And, and so here Peter is reminding them, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And here it is, here it is, underline this in your Bibles, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have been chosen by God. We are in his family. We are royal priests, as we talked about last week. We are people for his own possession. We are loved. We are adopted. We are in his family. Why? Why are we this? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him. It goes on to say in verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are to be proclaimers of this good news. <clears throat> I encourage you to write this down. We are proclaimers to a waiting, watching, and oftentimes wicked world. We are proclaimers of Christ. The moment we surrendered our lives to Christ, if you have done that today, that very moment, when that response to the gospel call was made, we instantly in that moment became proclaimers of Christ. You became an evangelist. You may say, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I'm not talking about the gift of evangelism. Some people have the gift of evangelism. I remember when uh, there was a man in our church who, who attended our church. He was also the dean of students at the Bible college I ended up going to. And, and uh, since then, he's been a pastor for many years. And, and back then, even in my Bible college days, he had kind of the nickname, One a Day Ray. This man just had the incredible ability to share his faith, he share the gospel with unbelievers, with, with just a spectrum of people across society. And it seemed like every day we are hearing these stories, a humble, godly, gracious man, but had an ability to get into jails, get, able to get into different circumstances. And people would bring their unsaved friends to, to, to Ray and he would just work with them, share the gospel. And so oftentimes people gave their hearts to him. We're not talking about having the gift of evangelism. Some people have that in an incredible way, but we are all called to be proclaimers. And the very moment that we became followers of Christ, when we surrendered our lives to Christ, and this might sound a little bit brash now, but the reason why you are still sucking air, the reason why you are still alive is because we have been called to be proclaimers if you are in Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ in a personal way and you're still alive, which if you're listening or watching, you are, you are still alive because God desires that no one would perish. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, 
Peter wrote, the Lord is not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God is patient. He is hoping. He is desiring that you would come to faith in him. The God of this universe desires a relationship with you. But again, for us who are in Christ, those of you who have committed your life to Christ, you are still alive, you are still sucking air, not to accomplish your own personal goals, not to, not to accomplish your own dreams and your own aspirations, to live out a good life, a good and quiet and peaceful life, and then live out a comfortable retirement. All sounds good. Those are good things. Those all sound, you know, like, like very uh, just... Being a good citizen, I guess you could say. And, and then at the end, you die and go to heaven. Those are good things. But they're not the primary for which we have been called as followers of Christ. Our focus, our primary responsibility, and I'm not making this up. This isn't a Hope Church thing. This is a Bible thing. We see this in the Word of God. Peter tells us that in verse 9. Look again. We, we have been saved, he's basically telling us, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's our marching order. That is the mission that we have been given. Jesus said something similar in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said, you shall, I like the word shall in the King James Version. ESV says you will, but I like the word shall. It just is even, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He's saying this to his disciples. If you're a disciple of Christ today, you and I are to be proclaimers. Look at this. Take a look at this map that Elaine made up for us this week. This is a map of the central Okanagan. This is the place where most of you are watching from today. Now, if you're watching elsewhere, you can just take and apply this in a similar way to where you live. Now, now next week, Lord willing, we plan to gather in three locations, and so you'll see these locations here on the map. You see the nice little Hope logo in there, and so these three different locations, I believe they're about 41 kilometers apart, and so next week we get to get to, next week at this time, we will be the church gathered, and there together we will worship and declare Christ We'll declare his excellencies through worship. We will place ourselves under the teaching. We'll submit ourselves to the teaching, not of Pastor Melden, but of the word of God and the authority of God's word. And then we will also fellowship together. It will be a great Sunday. Make sure you sign up. But the rest of the week, as we are then the church that is scattered. And think about this. And, and, and this number probably doesn't even represent everyone in our church. But this is, we are to be scattered. And as scattered believers, we are to be proclaimers of Christ. Where we live, where we work, where we do our business, where we hike, bike, and walk, whatever you jog, whatever you do, out drinking coffee, out at a restaurant, we are to be proclaimers of Christ. We are to proclaim the excellencies of Christ with our mouths and live out the excellencies of Christ with our attitudes and our actions. Now, a popular statement that was floating around Christian circles and t-shirts and mugs were uh, filled with this statement a number of years ago, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Sounds really good kind of like just kind of gets you there and it's just like oh that's beautiful but ah uh, you know what that's wrong that is that is not an accurate uh description or an accurate statement this one is better I encourage you to write this one down preach the gospel and since it's necessary use words we are to live a life that demands a gospel explanation a life that shows the, the, the love and the life of Christ. You see, the gospel is a spoken message. And it is supported by the life that we live. You see, whatever God does in us, 
he then wants to do through us as proclaimers. You see, we have been given the ministry of being proclaimers. And, and as this, we are to, the, what we have received from God, we are then to live out in our lives with others. One of the things that, that has happened to us if we are in Christ, we've been forgiven massively for the sins that we've committed against a holy and a righteous God. And we have been so massively forgiven by God, we now, in return, out of response to his love, we are to massively forgive others when they have hurt and they have wronged us. Not always does it mean that we become their best friend again. We work through that, but we are to forgive others. You see, God has been, an, another a, aspect of, of God's great love and he, is that his generosity. He's been overwhelmingly generous to us. And so as a result of that, we are to live a life of overwhelming generosity to others. Jesus left the comforts of heaven, his heavenly home, where everything was amazing to come to this sin-cursed earth. And he came to this earth to save and to redeem. And we too are to what has happened to us, what, what Christ has done for us, we are then also too to leave the comforts of our lives at times, to, leave up, to give up some of our comforts for Christ, for his kingdom and his gospel work. We have been reconciled to God through Christ. And so then as ambassadors, as proclaimers, as 2 Corinthians chapter 5 calls us ambassadors for Christ, we are then to have the ministry of reconciliation. We have been reconciled with God. We are to live and pursue reconciled relationships with those around us. But sadly, perhaps some of you are listening or you're watching today and you have been turned off and you have been hurt by the inconsistencies, the hypocrisy, the lies, the words, the deeds, the actions of religious of church people. You've watched this happen before your eyes and maybe you have even been on the bad and the difficult side of some very unfortunate things that have happened within the church of Jesus Christ, within Christians. Or perhaps you've watched together with all of us high-profile leaders fall. Sadly, lately, it almost seems monthly that we see this take place. And there's a, another one that is just developing and it just grieves my heart. Folks, we've got to get our eyes off of man. You can't have your eyes on a, a Bible teacher, whether it be someone who pr proclaims the truth to thousands, whether it is to a, a, a woman speaker, to those who are gifted in working with youth ministry, whatever. Get your eyes off of the person. And, and this is a problem with us as a church. We get our eyes on high-profile uh, kind of preachers and teachers and they're not perfect. In fact, oftentimes they're, very, they're far from perfect, just like all of us. But sadly, there's unchecked areas in their lives. And they fall. And when they fall, it is not good. And in, in, in the early church, the church has been doing this ever since it started. In the early church in 1 Corinthians 3, we see this battle. There were some who followed Paul, some who followed Paul, some who followed Cephas. We follow Christ. We get our eyes on him. Yes, humans, men, women, People will disappoint you. Pastors, elders, they will disappoint you. And yet we continue to pursue on. And, and truth be known, you and I have no doubt at times have been accused 
perhaps accused wrongly of being a hypocrite, but also at times we've been hypocrites, every one of us. You're watching today, you're listening today, you've been a hypocrite. Perhaps you're living in hypocrisy right now in various areas of of your life. And yet by God's grace and in his strength, we own it. We confess it. We forgive where needed and necessary. And we press on as proclaimers to a waiting, watching, and oftentimes a very wicked world. And so Peter tells us how we are to do this in verses 11 and 12. We see basically in, in verse 11, and we see the results of it in verse 12. In verse 11, Let's follow along now. Follow along as I read. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Uh, the day of visitation. As proclaimers, I encourage you to write this down. As proclaimers, we must ferociously fight the war within us. We must ferociously fight the war within. Let's unpack here in verse 11 as we work through this. Look at this, beloved. And we'll just stop right there at that word. Write this down. Beloved, you are loved. We must ferociously fight the war within, but we must understand we are so loved by God. Listen up. You are loved by God. So loved by Him. That's why we close every one of our services with that statement that you are loved, reminding us of that. Reminding that Christ came to this earth. He went to the cross for you. And you and I, because of what Christ has done, can have a relationship with God. That is love right there. And Peter is now experiencing the love of God in a vertical relationship. He now has this love for God's people. Many of these who he wouldn't have known. He never would have met them. And yet he has this this love. He he sees them as beloved people. And, And in the body of Christ, the same thing happens when we have a love for God. We develop a growing love for others. And we have to understand we are so loved. And so we see this. We are loved by God. And Peter is loving Those that he's writing to, he's writing even to us here today, knowing we are so loved. And he says, I urge you. This is an urging, this statement, as he says here, I urge you. This is like, grab hold of you by the shoulders and shake and and beg and plead. And he says, stop living so foolishly. Stop living this way. Stop living dangerously. Stop living selfishly, we'll see. So he's urging them. He's like, get hold of this. You are so loved and you need to pay attention to this. And he goes on as sojourners, as exiles, as proclaimers. He's reminding us this world is not our home. Write that down. This world is not our home. We are so loved. This world is not our home. Remember, in in chapter 1, verse 4, we are told we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is being kept in heaven for, for us. You see, we're not Canadian. Even if you're American, you're not American. Wherever you're from, whatever's on your citizenship, if you're in Christ, you're heavenese. Our home is in heaven. And we have to quit thinking that this world is the ultimate. That this life is, is, is what we're supposed to squeeze the most out of. It's not for the believer. For the lost person, if you do not know Christ today, this world is the closest you will come to experiencing heaven. Now, there's some great things to experience and some great things here on this earth, but, but it is sure a broken, messed up world. Just watch the news. For the believer in Christ, this here on earth is the closest that you will come to experiencing hell. 
Because there is an inheritance waiting for us. We are just sojourners. One version says we are aliens and strangers to this world. Verse 11 continues on. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. He's telling us that as proclaimers that we are then to embrace a wartime mentality. We are to embrace a wartime mentality. Now on September 9th, Orkin, which I guess is a pest control company, I saw this on Castanet, released its list of BC's rattiest cities. Kelowna came in 6th, Vernon came in 11th. And I, when I read that, I'm like, oh, yuck. Then after that, Nate, our son, was out recently one evening with some of his friends at a fast food establishment in Glenmore, and... Um, they ended up shaking garbage cans outside and rats would go running away. Nate recorded some of it on his phone, some of their antics as, as well. The uh, running rats also included some high-pitched screams from these young adult men. But again, I watched and I'm like, yuck. Then this week, at our house, in front of our house, I caught this. And that, for perspective, is a size 11 shoe just to show you the size of that rodent that was caught. And, and I ended up posting this picture on a group chat that my dad, um, in a family group chat, and my dad ended up sending it on to some of his siblings through email. Well, my aunt, Esther, she responded with some of her own rat stories. Now, my aunt, just an amazing woman, she was a missionary in Gabon, Africa for 31 years. She was involved in so many different initiatives over those years, making a significant impact for Christ. She was involved in things like church planting, building chapels initially when, in the early years that were made out of forest materials, and, and later um, they used bricks for walls and tin for roofs in order to bring chapels and residents for the pastor. She helped to, to train up local pastors, facilitating theological education by extension, Bible studies, and so much more. Here's a picture of her um, just out with, uh, just out on, I guess, probably a normal day, crossing over a, a bridge. And, and she, she wrote in, in this little excerpt of the story, we secured the bridges before crossing. A wheel would fall or fell in on occasion. So we would get out, jack up the vehicle, push it over, hoping that it would catch a log and continue on our way. Also, she was trained as a nurse, and a great amount of her time was spent in medical dispensaries, helping the sick, and sharing Christ whenever she could. In her email to me this week in regards to the rat that we ended up catching, and um, she told me some of her own African rat stories. She wrote this, rats came to Africa on the ships. Once I was driving in Mimongo and thought it was a cat that was crossing in front of us. When I, when I came closer, I saw that it was a huge rat. Apparently, they keep growing, keep growing when there are no natural predators. One woman, a friend of mine with a newborn, was awakened one night when she had a sharp pain in her foot. I bandaged it up later, she wrote. A rat chewed the surface about the size of an egg of thick skin due to her going barefoot in the forest for many years. On the side of her heel, this happened. When the rat bit her flesh, she was awakened. 
She went on to say, I used to buy strychnine and supply friends, and that seemed to help cut down the rat population considerably, like 20 in one house alone. And I read that, I'm like, ugh. Now, I tell you this story, and I hope I didn't freak or gross you out too much. Uh, well, maybe I hope I did it a little bit. Um, but, but what I want to do is awaken you to the reality that we are at war. And, and this article and, and different things that you read about is like, we're war on rats. We got to deal with the rats that is becoming a growing problem. But folks, again, like COVID-19, we talked about a few weeks ago, there's something far worse than a rat picture or a rat infestation. It's the infestation of sin in our lives and what it is doing to us personally, in our relationship with Christ, in our relationship with family, in our marriages, and in our witness as proclaimers for Christ. We must develop a wartime mentality. And here are four ways that we can develop this mentality. And, and I was thankful I saw this at one point from Pastor Robbie, and I thought, man, this just, just fits so well here. And, and first of all, he, here's, here's how we can develop this wartime mentality. First of all, we need to put away sin. We need to repent. Look at it, it says in verse 11, abstain from the passions of the flesh. Abstain means to hold off, to fight, to have nothing to do with the passions of the flesh. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5 tells us what the passions of the flesh are. And, and I believe these words are on the screen. Now, it says, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Just to back up a little bit. Sexual immorality, that's any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage. All right? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. These are all works of the flesh. These are different areas that are going to war against each one of us. Not everything for everyone, but something for, for everyone for sure. And I kind of find it kind of chuckle a little bit over the, the, the one statement there, the very last part, things like these. You see, that's a catch-all word because of our perverse mind and our perverse culture in these days, it, we would either make up or come up with a new unmentioned area. And so this is the catch-all for anything along these lines. These are passions that wage war against our soul, that destroy our spiritual life with God, destroy our intimacy with God, ruin our relationships, and cause us to not have a witness for Christ. And he instructs us, put these things off. Now, I encourage you to write down these scripture verses that we, we, we also have in regards to this. Encourage you to take those, look them up this week, because this is, talks about the fight that we have with our flesh, what we are to take off, but also what we are to then put on. You see, oftentimes, though, this is the, the thing that happens. Rather than putting these things off, rather than abstaining, as Peter told us to do, instead of running from sin, instead of killing sin, we play with it. We try to tame with it. We try to manage it. But it will eventually destroy. It will destroy our lives. It will destroy our relationships. And whether it is entertainment, whether it is that is not fitting, that is not Christ-like, whether it is things we consume or relationships that, that do not honor the Lord or wasting our time or resources on ourselves, on our wants and our desires, fulfilling our interests, our wants, our comforts, rather than living for the Lord. 
You see, we don't manage the enemy. We're not to manage the enemy. We are to destroy it. And, and yet we oftentimes try to manage it. We justify sin. We allow it. We allow anger to, to run our lives and it ends up ruining relationships. We, we allow idolatry to steal our affections away from God. Lust that renders us emotionally bankrupt. Pride and vanity rob us of true worth and true beauty. Slander and gossip hollows us from the inside out, making us very hollow people and shallow people. We think that help and relief and satisfaction or significance or joy is just coming around the corner. I just need to keep going. I need to keep progressing. But pursuing a self-centered life and not, putting a, 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 not killing sin in our lives means that we will end up in the sewer of destruction rather than finding a true delight and life in Christ that he offers us. Life everlasting, a life with joy, a life with, his, with peace, regardless of the circumstances that we are facing. John Owen said this, a, a Puritan writer, he says, Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will, or it will be killing you. And today some of you are on the verge of losing the war with temptation and sin. You're on a slippery slope. Perhaps some of you are even considering taking some dra- making some drastic decisions that involve sinful, selfish motivations. Sin doesn't win. You will not win. It always loses. We are at war. This is not peacetime. The devil wants to see us destroyed, distracted, and divided. You need to reach out to a brother or sister in Christ. You need to call out to God first and foremost, but reach out to a brother or sister in Christ. Please fill out an online connection card and say that you would like a call. So we'd be more than pleased to talk to you at Hope Church. Repent, confess in brokenness to God of the things that, that do not line up with God's word in our lives with the things that we allow that break the heart of God. You see, repentance is declaring, I'm done, I'm done, I'm sorry, forgive me. I desire to follow you, God. I desire to follow your way, your direction. Man, this is why it's important that you have other men around you. Women, this is why it's important that you have other women around you to confess, to share our battles, our struggles, to pray, to encourage, to, to wash one another in the word of God. We need that. That's why we push groups here. They're not social clubs. They're not youth groups for adults. It's a way that, and, and it's not simply to fill you up with a whole bunch of information. It's, it's to move us all towards transformation, making war against the sin and, and having brothers and sisters in Christ stand with us. Yes, we're learning God's word. Yes, we're learning God's truth. That's so important, but we also have those who are walking holding us up in prayer and accountability. But you see, it's not just about stopping something, just putting it off. It's putting on in those verses that, that we saw. If you could just go back and show those references, because some of you maybe didn't write it down. There we go. Write down Colossians 3, Ephesians 4, Romans 8. There's ver- those are important verses. And even Galatians 5, it goes on after that whole list that we had, then it talks about putting on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And so, this wartime mentality means we put away sin, but second of all, we put on Christ. You see, we can't win the battle apart from Christ, apart from Christ in us. 
He is our hope. He is our only true hope. If we are in Christ, we have God in the person of the Holy Spirit in us, enabling us to live this new life. But our sin grieves the Holy Spirit Our sin in our life renders the Holy Spirit powerless to be able to work in us because our flesh has taken over. And so when we put to death our flesh and we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us once again, and we need to do it daily because we leak, and and he fills us to live this new life that we cannot live on our own. And so we put on Christ. We, We put on Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. We clothe ourselves with humility, 1 Peter 5, verse 5. We'll get to that eventually. We daily ask for his power, his presence. We can't do anything for very long in our own power, in our, in our own strength apart from him. Thirdly, wartime mentality means we need to pick up the word. You know, I am so convinced and I would be so amazed. What would our lives, what would our families, what would our church, what would our region look like if we picked up the word of God and absorbed ourselves in the truth of God's word rather than absorbing ourselves in entertainment and social media in the news networks in the YouTube videos that you're watching in examining and trying to get a handle on everyone's ideas and opinions and conspiracies and things that are going on in our world yes it's okay to know these things we are not to be ignorant but we're not to be obsessed by them we would be so much wiser and have so much more peace in this world that is filled with chaos, if we would pick up the word a lot more than we are doing. In Ephesians chapter 6, we are told to put on the armor of God. And it says that we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It is our offensive weapon. Without it, we lose. Pick up the word. And the fourth wartime mentality that we can take on is worship. It gets our minds, our hearts, focused and fixed on Christ. This is such an important weapon in our fight that we would be worshipers, that we would passionately worship the Lord. When we sing in worship to Jesus and declare our love for him and sing of God's might and greatness, it's pretty hard to sin. When we fix our minds and proclaim on the excellencies of Christ, it's difficult to worry. And it's so powerful when we worship and it's so necessary. Whether you are in church at a gathering next week, on your couch, outside, in, in your car, in your bed, at work, on a walk, be worshiping the Lord. Whether or not you need to have canned music playing or whether you can make a joyful noise and some of you do that just on your own. Whether it's a hymn book, a course book, whether it's listening to Bill Gaither or Shane and Shane or having your earbuds in or you have an old-fashioned record player or car stereo or you're just making, as I said, that joyful noise to the Lord, worship the Lord. Oftentimes when I go out on my bike rides out in the back 40, I'm singing, I'm worshiping, I'm praising the Lord. And, and, and a lot of times it's audible. I have my earbuds and I know it sounds awful. I try to get a little quieter as I get closer to people because um, I do sing out loud because it's just an expression of worship for me, but it's also to keep you know, any perhaps animals away, let them know I'm coming. Worship is so important. We need to be worshiping the King of Kings. Matt Papa said this in his book. He says, we have worshiped our way into sin. We've worshipped our way by worshipping the wrong things, by worshipping money, success, power, fame. We must worship our way out of it. And we worship our way out by getting our eyes fixed on Jesus. 
So as proclaimers, we ferociously fight the war that is going on within us. That is our first and most important element when it comes to our witness as proclaimers to a waiting, broken, messed up, wicked world. And then second of all, we see, we believe that our lives, that Christ in us, will draw others to glorify God. Look at what it says, verse 12. As you keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that they will speak against you so that when they speak against you as evildoers, not if, they will. You will be spoken of as an evildoer, even as you desire to live an honorable life for God. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That day of visitation, that means there, it's another way of saying on the day of their salvation. That these people will turn their hearts to Jesus Christ one day, and they will glorify God on the day that they give their hearts to him because of your life, even though some have said some evil things about you. The result of Christ-likeness will mean that some, sadly not all, but some will be brought to faith in Christ. As we win the war on the inside, as we grow in Christ-likeness, the more powerful and greater our witness for Christ will be. And yet it won't be easy because friends, family members, co-workers, People who you would think or you think would or should love and support you the most may slander and malign and say and do hurtful and harmful things to you. We live in a hostile culture towards Christ and it's becoming more hostile as the days go by. Hostile towards God, hostile towards Jesus, hostile towards the word of God. But Peter is saying, That as we live honorable lives, as we are being changed and transformed from the inside out, that transformation is being made visible, that people will find Christ because of that, as they see our lives being transformed and changed. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus said this in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to to your Father who is in heaven. As proclaimers, it starts with us. It starts within our own hearts. And I believe that today that God is calling us, he's calling his church, he's calling Hope Church out of complacency, out of lethargy, out of apathy. These things are killers to spirituality. They are killers to a vibrant relationship with God. And it causes churches to become lukewarm social clubs. I don't want any part of that. And I believe that God is calling us to get out of the lazy boy recliners and quite literally for us as a church, isn't he? Get off the couches, get out of bed, and let's get on mission as proclaimers of Jesus Christ. Next Sunday, Lord willing, in a family chat, we're going to take some time to share with you some initiatives and what we're trusting the Lord for and and give you opportunity to commit to this mission. Not just like, yeah, 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 I'm a part of it. It's like, roll up your sleeves, let's go. You see, we have not been saved for worldliness, but we've been saved for godliness. We've been saved to be proclaimers. And see, we ought not to just fit our God time, gather time, group time, gift time, and go time around our busy schedules and the kids' activities. And some of you already, you have your kids just booked up to the nines. Or else your own personal interests and and, and entertainment. Some of those things may need to be canceled in order for you to pursue Christ 
in order for you to live a life that is giving honor to God. You may have some certain hang-ups or issues that you need to let go of, you need to deal with. This is serious stuff we're talking about. Life is short, the war is real, lives are at stake. In a sermon, a word like we've had today can expose the affections in our heart. I know in preparing this, I've been sending some prayer texts out to, to people and saying, just be praying, as this is speaking deeply to my own heart. And just with the band before our service here today, reading from Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me. And God, would you lead me in the way everlasting? Is this our prayer? Is this our desire or is it lip service? Is it lip service or is it the real deal? What areas of sin are you attempting to tame, hold on to, rather than run from and, and, and you're not killing it? And I say this carefully and I say this lovingly. Today, if your heart responds to this message from God's word is holiness, <laughs> get serious. Uh, I'll get serious about Not now, not yet. Maybe later. That's revealing a hard or a hardening heart. Or perhaps, perhaps, even a heart that has never truly come to know Christ. That has never been surrendered to Christ. You see, if you are truly saved, you grow in Christ-likeness. You want to pursue holiness. And yes, we fall into sin. And yes, we, we, we run after the wrong things. But the Holy Spirit convicts through the Word of God and by the Spirit of God. And we hear this call today and say, yes, I need to do business with God. The Holy Spirit convicts and pricks our heart. And we run to Him in repentance and say, I'm done with that. And find new life and find new strength in Him. Maybe you're in a wilderness season and you need to come home. You need to start with repenting before God. Run back to Jesus. We repent, we put on Christ, we pick up the word and we passionately worship. Let's pray together. So God, even now, these are important words, these are tough words, but they're life-changing words. For us, personally, as followers of Christ, but also as proclaimers. Because as you change us from the inside out, it leaves an impact on the world around us that is watching, that is waiting, that is hurting, that is so wicked. You've made us proclaimers. And you desire to fill us with joy and with, with power and strength daily from the Holy Spirit. And as your word says in Hebrews 3, 3 Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as Israel did in their rebellion. Israel's rebellion, it didn't work out well for them as a nation and it won't work out well for us either. I pray that today we would find that place of quiet confession before God and repentance. Getting on your knees if necessary, calling out to him, getting help, going to your group, getting together with pastor with one of our elders, leaders, teachers, people in the church, small group leader. Oh, we'd have people around us propelling us, encouraging us, praying for us, propelling us to greater heights and a greater walk with you, Jesus. Do this good work in us, we pray, so that we can live your life 
to those around us, your life in us, and then through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.